Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the gift that it is to us. Lord, we thank you and praise you that it is alive and active. And Lord, that you use it to teach us and to correct us and to encourage us and help us to live according to your will and your ways. And so we pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends and family, we're going to be looking at Nehemiah 13 today. So Nehemiah 13. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priest. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Some time later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here, I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God and the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah, the priest, Zodok, the scribe, and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God. And do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. They were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. 
People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like this that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations there is no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joadad, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priest and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favor, my God. We all like movies, I think, that have happy endings. I heard of a study of a little pilot that was done of a movie, and it it had a sad ending. And they showed it to a pilot group of people who gave it poor reviews. And then they changed the ending to a happy ending, and it got rave reviews. And based on that, they left it out at the um, box office, and it was a hit. I think that um, for Pastor Dave and I, as we laid out this sermon series, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this, but we actually originally um, switched the order 
And we're going to preach Nehemiah 13 first and then preach Marissa's message of Nehemiah 12 because we wanted to end on a happy note on Labor Day. Um, However, we felt like there must be a reason that the Lord put it in this order and we better just go ahead and follow the order the way it's in the word. And so, um, but we just didn't like the way that this felt like it was kind of anticlimactic and kind of a bummer ending. Um, what was the bummer part about this? Well, if you remember from last week, it was just this amazing celebration of a covenant renewal. And um, they had made these vows to God. And then all of a sudden, here we are, just one chapter later, about 25 years later, and we see that they've broken their vows. And it's really a symptom of a deadly disease, a heart that's bent towards evil. And so, um, as I said, they made this covenant promise. They confessed their sins um, to the Lord, and they made vows. And Marissa last week likened it to marriage vows. They were making promises to the Lord that um, God's everlasting love to them, that there was this covenant that God had made, and they were coming back, and they were confessing their sins, that they had been rebellious toward God and his ways. And then I want to just read a couple of verses here from Nehemiah 10, um, starting with verse 29. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring people bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we'll forego working the land and we'll cancel debts. And then picking up again at verse 39, the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests The gatekeepers and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. This was their promise. And then here we are 25 years later, and they're breaking all their promises to the Lord. And it really addresses the three areas of restoration that we've seen in Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you'll remember, there was the restoration of the temple, the restoration of the walls and gates, and the restoration of the people. And so I want to look at this kind of like we're looking at a movie, and we're in scene one here of what's happened here 25 years after this promising of um, the vows and the covenant renewal. And here we are with temple defilement, that this very holy place of worship for the Lord is um, a storeroom is being given to the enemy to store his own things there. And so um, this holy place is being defiled by enemy contents. And it also disrupts. That's where they're supposed to keep the offerings that come in for the Levites and the musicians. And so it displaces. They don't have any place for that. And it breaks down that whole system of offering and tithes that are coming in. Then there's the walls and the gates. And um, you'll remember that um, the people were, last week, 
they had choirs and they walked, they split in two parts and each part walked all the way around going in different directions around the whole wall of the city and then come up and go into the temple dancing and singing and just full of joy. A, a really a prophetic act that this entire city belongs to the Lord and is absolutely under his lordship. And then here we are just a few years later and they're not guarding the gates. Those gates are supposed to be gates of praise and that anything that would come through them is supposed to be acceptable to the Lord, and they're allowing their holy day of Sabbath to be desecrated and to break God's rule about keeping it holy by allowing merchandising to go on and people to come in to sell things um, and tempt their people to break the Sabbath. And then finally, the restoration of the people, and this had been dealt with back in Ezra, um, where he dealt with the problem of unholy marriage. And I want to make clear that it isn't because God um, doesn't love people of other ethnicities. It was because of their religious stance, that they were not worshiping the one holy God. And so there was not to be any intermarriage, because when you marry someone, you become one with them. And how can a house divided stand and so it can't. And so a person that is following God partnered with somebody who is atheist or who doesn't follow God or follows another God or deities and worships other deities. It breaks down to um, a marriage that's not honoring God and isn't united in, in God. And then it breaks down in the discipleship of the children. And you'll notice that he said, your children aren't even speaking your language. Well, what's the problem with that? If you look back at Deuteronomy in the Shema in um, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and we're supposed to um, teach, we're supposed to teach our children these, his ways, and we're supposed to talk about God as we're walking along the road, and um, we're supposed to put it over the doorpost of our house. And so there's this discipleship that fathers and mothers have a responsibility to do, and um, that's not happening. How can it if the dads don't even speak the same language as the children? Okay, that was scene one. Now I'm going to go just pretending like we're in a movie, and I'm going to take the camera, and I'm going to move it onto us now in this day and age for scene two. How do we have these same issues going on? Well, our temple and the worship of God, the places of worship, they've been defiled um, by false doctrines in some instances. And as sad as can be that some denominations do not even uphold the authority of Scripture. And so when we have false doctrines and false teachings trying to be infiltrated into God's church, it's an opening for the enemy. The enemy loves to plant false teachings and false doctrine to make it sound like it's good and, oh, I'm an ally of you. This is just a loving thing. But no, what does God's word say? And so that's one way that the temple can be defiled today, the church. When I'm saying temple, I'm saying, okay, now the people of God and the places of worship. 
Now, we don't have um, physical walls and gates, but we have the same command to keep the um, Sabbath holy. And so I want to say that when we looked at the, um, we read in our our um, liturgy earlier about keeping the Sabbath holy, and what did that command mean? And um, it means regular attendance, the assembly of God's people. And I want to say that even before COVID, pastors were lamenting because statistics showed that, um, yes, there are a number of people who in America state that they're Christian and that they regularly attend church. And some of those regularly attenders consider coming at Christmas and Easter regular attendance. Others consider regular attendance. The average attendance is that if somebody attends one out of four weeks, that's considered regular attendance. Well, friends, that is not regular attendance in God's point of view. And so um, we're losing the rhythms of practicing Sabbath and being a distinct people, a people that are set apart to worship God on a particular day. And for the um, God's people here in the Old Testament, that was from Saturday at sunset to Sunday at sunset because that was the um, the rhythm of looking at, um, wait, am I saying that right? Friday to Saturday. Anyway, it went from evening to evening. And then um, with Jesus, then it became Sunday was the Sabbath. And so um, we have not only struggled with not practicing the Sabbath regularly anyway, but then this COVID situation comes and um, it's made it even um, easier for some to just let those practices of and rhythms of setting apart a day as holy to God um, and Sunday suddenly just becomes like any other day of the week. And we see that, we hear that from some of our care elder contacts that people just are not participating with the at-home liturgy. We can see that for some, they're not clicking on it. They're not opening um, the liturgy. And so we know that this is happening and it's a great concern. And then finally, the people and the restoration of the people. Well, there was unholy marriage in this text today, and there's unholy marriages um, in God's sight. Uh, happening within his church today. And so with attempts to redefine marriage from a definition other than what scripture says of between one man and one woman, that's, that's an unholy, um, partnership. And then also just if someone that is a follower of Jesus marries someone who does not follow Jesus, then that too is unequally yoked. And so it interferes with Christ being the center and the discipleship of the children. And so often it's because the parents feel hypocritical because they know that they've compromised. And so then therefore they just don't go ahead and teach their children because they don't want to be seen as hypocritical. And so they fail to disciple their children. So um, Marissa said in her sermon last week, the people wanted to be the bride but not the wife. So the people wanted to be the bride. They wanted to make these vows several years before, 
but they weren't walking them out. They weren't faithfully maintaining their vows. And it reminds me of the song lyrics as I was thinking about it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have this bent towards going away from the Lord. And now we go to scene three where we start to see um, even more the goodness of God and how he responds in this situation. And what he does is he sends Nehemiah back. He had gone away um, and been back with the king. And now he's given permission to come back and um, as a godly servant and leader, he boldly names the sin and he purges it ruthlessly and he enacts discipline and he calls for purification and reconsecration. And so we may think, boy, that seems kind of harsh that he just threw that, that, um, you know, person stuff out of that temple room, just threw those belongings out. But remember, Jesus cleansed the temple of the money changers, right? And um, he also, like, pulls the hair um, and and um, these actions that seem so incredibly harsh. But really, it was a form of, like, this is the disgrace that this sin is. And it really is about the seriousness of sin, because if we recognize that the wages of sin leads to brokenness and death eventually, if you play that out, what happens if you start to entertain sin in your life? And if you look at the Israelites and all they had been through in exile, and then they had the chance to be back and the Lord had helped them miraculously to build these walls in such a short order and to rebuild the temple and to work in unity and to get over that victim mentality. And so when you see this sin start creeping back in, pluck it out. Get it out now. That's what Nehemiah is doing, the seriousness of it. And so um, we see that as he does this, that the practices of giving and gathering and the temple worship is resumed. We see that Sabbath starts to be practiced And they can delight again in the rhythms that God's given them, which really is a rhythm of trust and of entering into the rest that we'll eventually always be in. And then the people are called back into holy relationships. Let's stop it at this point, he says, and no more, no more. Turn. And that's really what repentance is all about. It's turning away from sin and aligning with God's purposes. You'll remember that Pastor Dave a few weeks ago told us that Nehemiah meant the encourager and that he's a type or a figure of a Holy Spirit figure in the Old Testament. And so Nehemiah is serving the Lord. His his wholehearted passion is just to, to serve faithfully. And he prays. Remember, he's a man of prayer. It started Nehemiah. He was praying and fasting about the walls being broken down. Here he is praying multiple times in this last chapter, and the, his prayers, several of them include the word hesed, God's faithful, loving kindness that's consistent with covenant. And so um, he says in verse 14, let me just pull that up here a minute. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God in its service. So faithfully done. I'm doing this 
in Hesed out of faithful, loving kindness, commitment to that covenant. And then verse 22, he brings up covenant again. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love, according to your great Hesed, according to the covenant promise that you made your people. Show mercy, Lord. And then he also asked, interestingly, that God would remember the sin of these leaders. Because when leaders introduce sin, it has such a horrible potential to affect so many people. When leaders sin and have a moral failure, it not only impacts their family, but everybody that they lead. And so he says, Lord, remember their sin. And then he ends by saying, remember me with favor, my God. He just throws himself on the mercy of God. And so God does remember Nehemiah's prayers. He remembers them at the cross where his covenant faithful love is most fully demonstrated. When Jesus, the father, laid on him the sins of us all. And so he remembered those sins and he laid them on Jesus. And it's the cross where justice and mercy meet. And so the Lord lays the sins that we deserve, the punishment of death. And instead, he gives us forgiveness as a gift. And so God's hesed, we turn now to, to scene four, where we start to move towards this happy ending. And I want to say that in scene four, we're um, seeing God's hesed, his faithful, loving kindness. It's consistent with his covenant love. And what Jesus does for us is he gives us a new heart. And that bent that we had always and only towards evil Now we have a reset, and we also have the Holy Spirit, which he promised us in John 14, that he would be with us and that he would guide us and he would remind us of everything the Lord had said so that we wouldn't disobey. We would be, we would have an internal reminder as the Holy Spirit reminds us and helps us to obey. The Holy Spirit's with us today, and even in the shaking in this world and the purging, And the discipline, just as we see Nehemiah was doing purging and discipline and shaking, but he was doing it for the purpose of God's glory and for the good of the people. And this is why the Holy Spirit does this and allows these things in our lives as well. Our response impacts this part of the God's grand story. And so, When we think about, do we want a happy ending or do we want a bummer, sad ending? And um, I think that the Lord allows Nehemiah 13 to be here at the very end because it's both an invitation and also a warning. Because based on how we respond, if we will obey, things will go well. And if not, we'll start to fall back. And our story will be like... Don't you just, when you read this, you just go, oh, people, people, why are you doing that again? We don't want to identify, like, who do we want to identify with? The people that were um, so quickly forgetting the goodness of God and starting to be independent and stiff-necked again? Or do we want to be like Nehemiah? I know that you and I, we want to be like Nehemiah. We want to be faithful. And so how we respond is that we want this joyful, joyful ending. We want to be found faithful. And so, friends, God is calling us to work together and build. We've said that from the beginning of this Ezra and Nehemiah series. 
He's calling us to, and when I look at this chapter 13, I want to say that the Lord's calling us to um, work together and build in these ways in holiness in the temple, that we would carefully examine doctrines and teachings and align it with the word of God. Is this lining up and be so careful and discerning at this time and purge anything that is not in alignment with truth? Some people in Nehemiah 13, some of the musicians, the Levites, were leaving their callings, and others were um, quitting giving. They were quit. They stopped bringing their tithes and their offerings. And the Lord is calling us to be faithful in our callings, to be faithful in our giving, and to examine every room of our heart for things that don't belong there. That enemy had no place having things in the temple. And I'm telling you, um, we do not want our hearts to have any room or any space for anything that doesn't align with God's goodness and his kingdom. And so back um, a few years ago, I was in a navigator's Bible study, and it had a little section on examining the rooms of your heart, looking at different ages in your life, looking at your hobbies, looking at your relationships, looking at your sexual um, practices. Um, and it kind of said, okay, this is the kitchen. This is the dining room. This is the living room. Okay, now we're going to look in the closet of your heart. Anything that's stuffed in there that you just, from way back, that you just never dealt with and you just threw it in the closet. Another talk I heard, they said, dump the junk from your trunk. And so um, I've seen and watched some of you um, working through the hard and beautiful work of um, getting junk out of your trunk, out of um, getting anything that isn't of the Lord out of the rooms of your heart. You're doing this in prayer ministry. You're doing this um, as you have pastoral conversations, perhaps with the care elders or with one another. Some of you are active in doing the hard and beautiful work of reconciling relationships. You're honoring and you're forgiving one another. You're asking the Lord to search your heart and you're asking the Lord to search your motives. And you're really just saying, Lord, every part of my life, search me, show me if there's anything, any unholy, any anxious way in me. And so um, holiness in our lives and in our churches. The Lord's also inviting us together to guard the walls and the gates. And when we think about Sabbath delight and we read the catechism that um, what does this God's will for you in the fourth commandment, first that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained and that especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin already in this life the eternal Sabbath. And so we see um, the gospel ministry and education to be maintained. The Lord is asking us to build this and strengthen our gospel ministry, um, even through the discipleship effort, the life on life, the, um, the connections, 
that are so longing for in our church. We feel like that discipleship in the gospel. And then um, it says here, attend the assembly of God's people. And I can almost imagine some of you going, amen. That's what I wrote on my survey. And I want to say we all agree it's really important for the assembly of God's people. And I just want to say from a perspective standpoint that um, that catechism references Acts 2 where they were meeting in homes. And when we think about where Jesus went to the synagogue, that was a place where there would be 10 men who would come together in a household to pray. And so our paradigm of gathering together in the assembly may be where there's 70 to 125 people, or maybe if you have been part of other churches, even larger gatherings, but um, we can't limit God, and we want to do whatever is wise and good, and the elders will be looking at this, but we all recognize and say, yes, it's important for us to gather and assemble in whatever size and whatever location seems to be the wise thing to do at this time with COVID. And then finally, this daily rest from our sin, part of our Sabbath practice is that every day we would invite the Holy Spirit, Lord, work in me, help me to cooperate with you so that I would rest from my sin. And certainly, as we think about the final thing that I feel like the Lord is calling us to work together and build is holy lives and holy relationships that are discipleship oriented. And um, just like the parents were supposed to teach the children and therefore they needed to speak the same language, we believe that we need to have even a greater understanding of kingdom language and a shared language to talk about the gospel so that we are so rooted in our faith and the core tenets of it that we can share it with um, anyone at any time of any age. And when I hear stories of some of the parents that have been teaching their children and reading Bible stories, and then the little preschoolers say, Daddy, tonight I want to read this story. And then without being able to read any words, they look at the pictures and they tell the story just as it's been taught to them. And um, I say, this is what God's calling us to build and to build even more so that um, we are discipling the next generation, our children, our youth, our adults. Friends, the church in America and around the world is intended to shine brightly, pointing people to Jesus at this dark and broken time in history, just like God's people were intended to do in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Haggai, when we were in that book, the prophet told the people multiple times, he said, give careful consideration to how you build. There's a greater glory coming. Give careful consideration to how you build. And I believe as we look at this last chapter of Nehemiah, and as we think about what we've learned in this this um, series of Ezra and Nehemiah, um, I feel like the Lord is just impressing on us that we don't know the time, but we um, can see indicators that it feels like it's getting close to the climax of the story. And there's a turning point in a Hallmark movie where about 10 minutes before the end, there's a climax. 
and then suddenly there's a conflict and then the people realize they love each other and they start to um, move towards one another and um, it's a, always a happy ending. I believe the Lord wants us to have a happy ending. I believe that he wants to see his kingdom grow and advance on the earth and that we will be full, full of joy as we um, move towards our vows and live into our promises, trusting that his Holy Spirit is going to help us every step of the way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.